Hello, this is EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. I am Eric Chase, and we are powered by GEMS. Today, we're going to be with Ryan Woodard. Ryan Woodard is a, um, a lieutenant with Oklahoma City Fire. He's first and foremost a paramedic. He's also a um, deputy with Oklahoma City County Sheriff's, or Oklahoma County Sheriff's Department. He's a hand-heavy instructor, a PALS, ACLS, BLS, EMSC, uh, trainer all those things are, are great fantastic and we appreciate ryan for all those things he's he's also a friend and a brother um when things are tough and and when we've had uh, ice storms that have been debilitating to us ryan has given uh me and my family uh, a generator for the use uh he's a brother and that uh i can share with him my soul um my spirit my hurts and he's a person that gives you the shirt off his back so um, we're having a conversation today because Ryan is a special individual who doesn't give himself the, cred the credibility and the credence for what he has done. And, and I understand that as a first responder, as, as somebody that's worked in law enforcement, somebody that's a, been a firefighter as well. So I understand that perspective. And a lot of us in fire, EMS, law enforcement, uh, public safety have that kind of mentality that uh, it, it's tough sometimes. And um Ryan, as a brother, as a friend, as a as a professional, interprofessional, it's worked calls together, run calls together, done trainings together. Um, I met you when you were uh, doing training for Oklahoma City Fire and and coming into the EMSA, the uh, Oklahoma City EMS agencies, academies, and, and teaching and training people and kind of showing them how the collaboration and the work relationship should be with the fire department. You're a, to me, a stellar individual, and that doesn't mean that we don't have issues and haven't dealt with stuff. And, and, and some people might consider us uh, other than positively, right? But uh, I want to welcome you to the EMS Improv Podcast as a friend, as a brother, as a co-professional, and say thank you for taking your time to be here and sharing your story or stories with us, Ryan. Thank you. I don't know how to live up to that, but I'll do my best. I'm proud to be here, proud of what you've done. I hope you keep doing it, bringing laughter and um, reflection throughout your career is the only way to get through this. So let's all keep going. What do you say? I, I love it, Ryan. So you and I have been sharing offline and I've heard many of your stories when we're, when we're up at two or three in the morning, uh, sharing messenger stuff or how, you know, something's affected us adversely or, or negatively, or how maybe EMS doesn't get the the recognition that, that the fire service does and, and rightfully so uh, and or law enforcement uh, before times have changed and, and the negativity cast upon law enforcement recently. But you have some really uh, compelling stories and, and I don't know where you prefer to start, but we were talking about uh, the lack of support for mental health and EMS and, and kind of what prompted that conversation for us was uh, April 19th, 1995. And, and I don't know, uh, you went there a little bit er earlier ago, so hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot, but that story is pretty compelling. Uh, today, uh, it's, it's an honor, uh, in, in honor of the, the 168, 169, depending on who, who's telling the story uh, that, that died that day, but the, the thousands and tens of thousands of people that have been adversely affected. Um, so you have a relationship with somebody that's uh, proof that you were there and proof that what you do makes sense. And, 
And I'm curious if you'd be willing to share that story with our listeners and, and the people that you care about. Well, I, what I wanted to share was the fact that there has always been a disconnect between EMS and um, peer support. And unfortunately, I, I've seen it agency to agency and from incident to incident. Um, I was a brand new young kid. I was 20 years old when I started at IMSA in Oklahoma City. I was 21 years old um, during the bombing. I, like I told you, I was a paramedic student working full-time at IMSA in Oklahoma City, a very large, very busy agency, currently serves 700,000 people over 625 square miles. And um, we, uh, I worked nights at the time, so I was asleep when the 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 page went out that, that dates, it dates me there with the alphanumeric pager with the, uh, uh, we have a level three mass casualty incident. Of course, none of us knew what that meant. Um, and we all thought it was a dispatch accident and then turn on the news and there's a helicopter flying over downtown and there's a cloud of smoke. So me and everybody I knew, we all jumped in our cars, drove to headquarters, hopped on ambulances and drove downtown. Um, I spent the next nine hours down there or the next, I was there till midnight that night. So it was about 15 hours. Um, and I, it was myself and medics from all over the state um, and fire police from all over the state as well. Just there as human beings trying to help. Um, I transported several people that day. Um, none of which were conscious and I'm pretty sure none of which survived just because we got there early on when they were digging people out. And um, I was really lucky to have transported one person and her name is, it's now Terry Talley. It was Terry Shaw at the time. And Terry was the only one that was conscious and she had a mangled leg and she was feeling terrible, screaming, yelling, bloody murder. And my partner and I at the time, of course, we were okay with that. Because what does that mean to a medic when your, par- your patient's screaming bloody murder? She's got an airway. She's conscious. So we just let it go. Um, threw some gauze on her, started an IV, took off, got her to the trauma center. We took her to the trauma center. And Terry told this story on me on CNN. She's the only person allowed to call me an ambulance driver, by the way. She takes great pride in that. But she told CNN that her ambulance driver got mad at the nurse because we hauled Terry in there. She's screaming because her leg is mangled. And the nurse kept trying to shush Terry. And apparently, and I still to this day don't remember it, said, leave her alone. That's the best sound I've heard all day. And, you know, we, we laugh about it now. But, you know, back then, those are the things that happen that you don't remember. Um, mm-hmm. and, and things like that all day long. And, and so for the weeks after we were on standby down there while they were clearing out the debris from the building. And it was then I began to realize the lack of support for EMS. Uh, we didn't have, a, we had a chaplain, uh, but he was only one person and he was working alongside of us. And they brought some guys in from California to do some CISM stuff. 
And instead of introducing it to the medics gradually and saying, hey, this will help you, they forced us to go. And they tried to make 30 medics sit in a room until you're, you talk about your feelings. As you can imagine, that was a turd in a punch bowl, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Nobody wanted to do it. Absolutely nobody wanted to do it. And we all paid the price for it. Um, a lot of us struggled there afterward. And I still to this day, I don't know what made me do this, but soon after I had a friend that I took with me and I, I said, I don't have an explanation for this. I just need to go make sure this one person made it right. And when you say make it one of your fellow firefighters or EMS providers, and, uh, no, it was, it was just a civilian friend of mine. Okay that I took to the hospital with me. And I said, well, you just, she was an x-ray tech at one of the hospitals. That's what it was. She was an x-ray tech at one of the hospitals. And I said, look, will you do this with me? Will you just go up there? I'm going to go wander. And this is of course in 1995. So you could get away with this kind of stuff. I went up to Presbyterian hospital and walked around the floors, trying to find the lady with a leg injury from the bombing. Oh, you were okay. looking for Terry then, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. And I wandered around that damn hospital until I found Terry. Showed up unannounced. Terry and her kids um, and her spouse were sitting in that room. And here's this guy that showed up. And I did, I had no idea how emotional it was going to be for me to, to have a it was a sigh of relief. Man, I've made a difference. Man, I, I, I did something. And, you know, that was, that's what got me through that. Last year, um, the Allegiance Credit Union did a, a story. And unfortunately, we were told that the news didn't get a chance to run it because of some COVID stuff. But they did a, a really cool backstory on the 25th anniversary involving Rowdy Baxter, the Oklahoma City fireman, that dug Terry out um, and handed her to us. Uh, celebrated Rowdy. Um, of course, I, I've stayed friends with Terry all these years, but all three of us got together and and got to talk and got to hang out and are now friends. And I, I talked to Rowdy now quite a bit um terry had a tragic loss in her life and you got it brother. rowdy well no it's <clears throat> i hear you rowdy and i were, rowdy and i were able to be there for terry and she needed that and so we You gotta be kidding me. Hey. Yep. I'll call you back. Okay. Hey Ryan. So as real life happens, there we go. Welcome back. Um, you you were telling us where uh, you and Rowdy were able to be there for Terry uh, during a significant period of time in her life. I guess relatively recently. Um, so you, relationally uh, being there for her is kind of where you were leaving off. And I, I 
ramble on like that to say this, that we don't realize how important that feedback is on, on how we did until it comes to things like that. And um, it was really special to myself and Rowdy to be able to be there for Terry and, 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 you know, we've been friends for 25 years and we've, we've shared in each other's, you know, successes and struggles and, and everything like that. And, and that's rare. And I know that, but, um, I, on the 911 side of things, I can't stress to everybody enough how important it is that you don't listen to the bunch that says don't follow up, right? We need to leave people alone. We need to let them heal. It's not our business. It's, it's not our issue. Um, and especially on the fire side, we don't have much of a feedback system, or at least we didn't up until now. Um, Dr. Peter Antevi teaches in his uh, Hentevi system and in his numerous podcasts, YouTube videos, and things like that, that uh, resuscitation that never ends. Yes. Study that, um, that he includes in his um, curriculum. And he talks about it in, in some of his podcasts and things like that. It's absolutely the truth. Um, and it, it validates a lot of us that have some struggles and, and, and it, it can keep some of us from going forward from having those if we will just pick up the phone, make some phone calls, send some emails, do the things and get the feedback on how we did. Why is that so important? So let me fast forward from 1995 to May 20th, 2013. Right. Um, I do remember that day also, and also was down there. But were you in were you in Oklahoma then? I I was, and uh, when you say that date, it it resonates differently and and equally uh, on terror, trauma, horror. But um, I'll I'll let you get back to yours. But uh, I'm grateful that you're you're so freely bringing up some of these things, Ryan. So thank you, and I'll let I'll let you let it get back to you in the story. I will completely dominate the conversation unless you tell me to stop. So, um, you know that from being in class with me. Um, I, so May 20th, 2013 was any other day uh, in May in Oklahoma. And um, I was working a shift on my day off from the fire department um, at Midwest EMS in Midwest City, Oklahoma which is a suburban right outside of Oklahoma City of about 40 to 50,000 people. Uh, military town, Tinker Air Force Base is located in that city. Um, I've worked there on and off since 1998 as a medic. Um, love that place. My heart belongs there. Um, anyway, worked my day shift. 8 a.m., 3 p.m. comes. My partner and I are standing in the break room of the station there at the hospital. And we're watching the news, right? And we're watching this roll in. And it was the first time in Oklahoma that the word tornado emergency had ever been used. Um, and we're watching this bear down on more, which everybody remembers May 3rd, 1999, right? 
largest tornado in history, went all the way from Moore through Midwest City into Choctaw and into Hare. Uh, longest tracked F5 tornado in, in recorded history. Well, we're watching this tornado come through Blanchard and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at the time, Midwest City EMS provided the, um, for well over 20 years, we provided the EMS for the city of Moore. We uh, had two trucks that were in that metro area on a 24-hour basis. Uh, one truck was on a call, had a patient on board. The other truck saw the tornado coming and took refuge, took off southeast into Norman, Oklahoma. Um, when the tornado came through, luckily the truck that had the patient on board uh, ran into Moore Hospital as quick as they could, unloaded the patient, and uh, the tornado dropped the awning on top of the truck, rendering it not usable. The uh, other truck uh, was stuck southeast of Moore and the damage that was done made it almost completely impassable getting from Moore to, or getting from Norman to back to Moore. So my partner and I, after hearing about the damage, um, hearing about you know, the uh, destruction and the fact that I-35 is now shut, which is the main thoroughfare north-south through Oklahoma City and the suburbs. Um, I asked my partner if he had anywhere to be. He said no, because we were all supposed to get off in an hour. And I said, okay, let's go. So Mike and I jumped on a truck and we went down Eastern from Dell City all the way through into Moore. Of course, by this time, the towers had been hit. Radio was spotty. Cell phone use was non-existent. We could text, but we could not call. And dispatch had no idea where anybody was. And they just threw out a call and they said, anybody in the area, um, we have a call at 823 Southwest 11th and more on people trapped underneath the vehicle. I picked up the radio, said dispatch, we're at 27th and Eastern working our way to more. We'll take that call. We're the only truck available and more. 20 minutes or so later, after winding our way around, trying to get two miles or three miles, we finally get there. 823 Southwest 11th is the address of Positower School. Mm. We had no warning that it was a school. My partner and I pull up and we're within a hundred yards of the school, but there's literally power poles, houses, bars, everything else in the middle of the road. So we jump off, grab everything we can carry and we start walking and we get there. And it is myself and my partner, more engine one, more breast pumper one and a bunch of civilians and the pile of what was Plaza Towers School. And if you recall, there was a lot of, uh, we sent a lot of patients out by pickup for the first two hours because there was no access. Mm -hmm. um, my partner and I set up a triage treatment and transport area on the Southeast side in the Circle Drive. Um, and that was my first experience as being EMS command of anything, okay? I was EMS command for the first nine hours of that incident. I was a PRN paramedic. Um, and I was left in charge 
of the largest single loss of life incident in that we had seven dead children, I believe a dozen dead adults, numerous critical injuries in the houses around the school. Um, and so I functioned in a way that the fire department had taught me that EMS struggles with, which is ICS, right? How often do we practice ICS on the EMS side? Very rarely. Um, on the fire department, we use it on a very regular basis. Every single fire, uh, most grass fires, large incidents, things like that. You set up command, you start assigning tasks, which is brand new for all of us who have never done that before. I was just a corporal on the fire department, so obviously I was never in a position of authority to have done anything like that. But I had at least been taught and I had listened repeatedly to some amazing officers and chiefs who had done those kind of things on major incidents. And um, we always did after action reports and there was lots of feedback on those things. And guys said, hey, I did this OK, but hey, I didn't do this right. Um, you know, feedback, 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 what everybody needs. Right. So I set up EMS command. I ended up commanding. Uh, well over two dozen medics and a whole bunch of civilian. We had uh, transport trucks set up. We had uh, rehab set up. We had um, a field morgue set up that was a cooperation between ourselves and law enforcement. We had um, the staging area. I had to interact as a, as a command with superintendent of schools, the more fire chief, the Edmund Usar, um, just numerous things that I had never done before, had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I did everything to the best that I could at the time. Some of my friends that were there with me on the ambulance and, um, and the more fire department are guys that I'm still guys and gals that I am still best friends with to this day and love them. And, and, this is something that, that has always stuck with all of us is that none of us that were there that day at Plaza Towers on the EMS side were ever offered peer support, invited to an after action report, or even told by hospital management, hey, you did a great job. None of us were invited when President Obama came to town. Um, you know, those things, I think, are the things that, and I, I, can, I can talk about it now because I know that that was not done intentionally, and I'm not angry at people anymore. I was. I was very angry for a really long time. And went down a very self-destructive path until I had a very wise counselor who took me through EMDR, which saved my life, saved my marriage, saved my career, and then said, stop expecting managers to be perfect. Stop expecting what you would have done and what you know out of people that have never been through what you've done and what you know and and he was right 
why would I expect a supervisor that didn't have the the experience that I'd had to know to do those things or to want to do those things or to even know how to do those things, right? Um, so I had to do a lot of forgiving. I, and, and not that those people ever intentionally wronged me. That wasn't it. I just had to let it go. And it, I've struggled with it. I've struggled with it for several, five years now. But, you know, that was the last call I ran working for Midwest EMS. That was the last field 911 call I ran. After that, I was just angry. And it's taken me this long. I finally recently returned to 911 transport at Midwest City. Um, I'm proud to say I'm back in orientation, hopefully going to be a street medic again before long. And that process in and of itself is a cathartic thing for me. Um, I, I don't know how the administrators feel about it, but I needed it. Ryan, I, if, if you don't mind, you, you brought up so many things, feelings, uh, concerns, issues. And, and I want to go back a little bit, if it's okay with you. You sure. remember things so vividly to the point of turns. And, and uh, as Chris Fields brought up when we were talking about uh, the, the bombing and, and, you know, the sense of smell and how the rain absolutely resonated. Um, for people like you and Chris and myself and, and those people that are going to be listening, uh, you know, those are the things that became overwhelming uh, to us, to you, to Chris, uh, to Rowdy, I'm sure, uh, be because we didn't have the outlets, we didn't have the resources. And I love that you said, you know, stop expecting you and other people. And, I, and I've changed the, I've phrased it a little bit differently. But when we look at other people, we have to stop expecting to see us, our knowledge, our skills, our abilities, our experiences in them and come come to a level of grace. And that's one of the things you said, forgiveness, um, you know, forgiveness and grace to me are kind of twofold, uh, but multifaceted and symbiotic to do honor or credit to someone in one's presence, uh, courteous goodwill um, and or uh, the free and unmerited favor um, of, of other people. And one of the things that I think you finally started seeing or being able to do is, is have grace or forgiveness for yourself for even having these feelings. And counseling has saved my life, my second marriage, uh, because I destroyed my first with behaviors, et cetera, right? Um, and everything right. that you're sharing is so vivid and important. And I'm wondering if the vivid nature of what you've experienced made it that much more difficult to get through or easier because it was so identifiable once you were put in a position with EMDR and other people that cared about you to get to that point? Well, you know, the EMDR came out of, um, unfortunately, some really terrible behaviors. I did go get help on my own. I was not forced, but I, it was going to be within a very short amount of time. My wife deserves more credit. I mean, she deserves all the awards and all the accolades for putting up with my shit. Oops, sorry, I probably can't cuss on your podcast. You're but, probably allowed to. You're probably allowed to limit it to that type of stuff, um, and, and it's real. So thank you, though. But 
to be, to be very clear, this trauma remains vivid to me. So Ryan, you know, one of the things that you were talking about is your wife deserving much better and, and for putting up with your shit. Uh, and then through the magic and mysteries of the, the interwebs, um, we, we lost sound and that's life. And, and, you know, one of the things that we do with the improv is, is you mentioned earlier is bring the funny. We also bring the reality, right? Intentional and authentic actions and behaviors and, and being real is so important. And that's one of the things I love about you, your humanity, um, the person that you are, the person that you continue to become on your journey is the true self, the vulnerable, the strong, the discerning, the questioning, the the listener, the one that gives feedback and also is willing to receive feedback. And it has taken all of these events cumulatively and all the consequences of your actions and behaviors uh, to get to the point where you are today and the kind of leader as a lieutenant in the academies with EMSA um, is a is a non-titled leader with people that you interact with, the example that you're set. And I think, um, you know, these are the important things that resonate with me and I think are going to help with that person or people that are going to listen and uh, go, wow, me too. And, and I'm the same. And I feel, I felt the same way. And if I do a few steps, I can get better. I can start working and helping, helping myself to be a better coworker, spouse, friend. You know, you know what? I, I can't, describe you how much I've changed as far as who I am and how I, um, I tried to be for a lot of years that, because I grew up under the boomer medics, the, the, uh, and I, I don't use that as a, but that generation handled things differently. Right. Yes. Um, they were the Vietnam vet, vets that, you know, suck it up buttercup. This is how it is. You don't get to quit. You don't get to cry. You don't get to give up. This is just how it is, right? And there is something to be said about that generation of toughness, but it also generated a lot of years of, of problems and, and a lot of, of bad coping mechanisms for them and for us that grew up underneath them. Um, and I've had, you know, and again, I'm talking about how wonderful my wife is she's the strong silent type she doesn't want to talk about her problems. she doesn't like to to do any of that stuff she eats it she buries it and she does okay i have figured out in my lifetime that if i do that it will destroy me so i've had to take the tough calls like i ran a i'm unfortunately the guy that the hypervigilant guy the ptsd hypervigilant guy right yeah we all know thing right you either bury it and don't remember shit or you remember every single thing so there was a murder suicide on tinker air force base um it was started off as a hostage situation and a man took his kids hostage he ended up killing himself and killing his children um one of the longest hardest days i've had in my entire career right mm -hmm. i remember every single moment of that day from beginning to end. Um, there was a girl named Jessica Brown who was murdered in Midwest City. She was a 
she was an airman. Her husband was an airman. Um, her husband and his girlfriend killed her, ran off, and were later convicted of murder. When my partner and I arrived, this was 11, this was 10 years ago, January 11th, that this happened. Um, so it was cold out. There's two little kids, two years old and four years old, running around in the front yard unattended, and mom was dead. All they knew was that mom wouldn't wake up, right? I remember everything about that day. And why that call bothers me, I have no idea. The adult was dead. The kids were not. But I spent the next three hours in the back of my ambulance watching YouTube videos on my phone with them while we tried to figure out what to do. And I'll never forget them for the rest of my career. Um, you know, I've had close family friends and uh, family members that I have run on doing this job because it is a tight-knit community. Those calls have always stuck with me. And what I've figured out, this is just me, but the, ways, the reason I'm able to talk about them now, and if you ever find yourself trying to talk about an incident and you start to get emotional, you better start talking about that damn incident. You better cry it out. Because if you don't, you don't heal. When you start talking about a call and you get emotional, you're not done with that call. And you better figure it out. So, I can't go ahead. I can't, I can't talk about Closet Towers a lot. And the biggest reason is, is I have no idea how I did, right? I don't know how many of the patients I took care of that day survived. If, um, if any of the decisions I made were wrong or right, I've gotten feedback from a couple of my really close friends that were medics that were there, but I don't like dragging them through that with me, right? I don't want to mm -hmm. keep going to, hey, did I do okay? Hey, did I do all right? Because this seems really self-serving, right? So this is just a compounding problem. And this has been my thing with, with Plaza Towers. All these years, I've never gone back. I've not been to the memorial. Um, that's one of the things I haven't ever healed from. And, you know, that's, I hope one day to do that. I hope one day to get the kind of closure that I got with most of these other calls. Um, I can tell you that since we started implementing this, these policies using the hand heavy and, and following up on patients with the fire department, I committed to it when I was a training officer. So when I promoted, I went into training, did two years in training, and then I came back out to the field. I still go down and teach our medical director academies to the new medics that we have. And I'm really proud to do that. I'm really glad that the fire department lets me do that. The fire department also lets me go teach hand heavy at IMSA, which, um, I'm also very thankful for because it, it, it lets me say a lot of these same things that I've said to you. I get to say that to a whole new generation of medics coming up saying, hey, listen, don't do this. All of us that came before you, we had no idea what we're doing. But my career is... It's like I told you, I'm like Forrest Gump, man. I just accidentally stumble into some, some great and terrible things. I just happen to have been there. Um, and Ryan, Ryan I, I feel what you're saying. And 
and for many of us that that's life and that's kind of what what is and how we navigate the things that we stumble into uh the good the bad the ugly the beautiful um is what i think is important and when you you were talking about peter and tevi um a, a friend of mine actually um you know when when we talk about resuscitation that never ends you know for you in this case and for many of the listeners it's that call that never ends and we don't teach it. So I, I applaud you and, and not because you require the accolade, but because as a teacher, as an instructor, as an educator, uh, using your personal to ingrain in the new, uh, how, how to have some tools, you know, we, we call these soft skills or effective skills. Well, many of us say that these are essential skills, right? The things that we have to impart to our our new students, let alone, um, and I'm, I'm one year shy of being a boomer, right? Uh, things that like you were talking about <laughs> how, how we didn't grow yeah. up and, and how we weren't allowed to grow up. Right. So I applaud you and laud your efforts, uh, because I saw them firsthand and I know that what you're doing is, is good and strong and beneficial. People are going to take what they're going to take and then decipher what they think they need. Um, but if if they remember several things that you teach them and the pearls of wisdom and the nuggets that you shared with them, uh, you're going to help them grow. And and the words and the work that you do uh, resonate across uh, the city and the region, the state and wherever those people have moved, Ryan. And, and I just want to say thank you. And a lot of times we, you personally, me personally, don't hear this from co-responders, from the cities that we worked in or for. Um, and, and fortunately, you, you've also received some of those things uh, for your efforts. Um, but when we don't, sometimes it's tough. And I want to thank you personally as, a, as not only a, a professional, um, but, a, but a friend and, and, uh, and an advocate for helping people. You, you, the work that you do is amazing, Ryan. And I, I'm just I'm grateful for the stories that you've shared with us and for our listeners um, I know that if there's a, a need or if there's, if they want to reach out to you, how can they do that, Ryan? Uh, is, do you have an email, ad, uh, excuse me, email address or are you're on LinkedIn? I know, can they reach out to you and maybe share a story or, or kind of, you know, get, get in touch with you professionally or personally? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I would hope that maybe somewhere somebody struggle with a lot with similar things that I have or, or know somebody that is, you know, that's, that's one thing we don't do enough of is take care of each other is because we stand back and go, see, okay, I don't know. It's not my place. Yeah, it is. I buried a lot of people I've worked with over the years and I'm tired of doing it. And you're talking about suicide. If we're going to be real, right? I'm talking about suicide. I'm talking about um, drinking problems. Yep. Accidental overdoses. Not necessarily trying to kill themselves, but bad behavior that comes out of PTSD. Um, I unfortunately, in my fire district, I have a guy that lives out here that I worked with at IMSA back in the day, and he is in a terrible way physically and mentally um he never healed he never got better he had a lot of mental health issues over the years and, and he stayed in ems for well over 20 years but he never got any help and um 
now is unfortunately physically and emotionally almost damaged beyond repair. And um, it makes me really sad to see him and run on him and, and try to communicate with him. This is a guy that I ran around with, hung out with, was friends with 25 years ago. And now the guy half the time doesn't recognize me because of how bad his physical issues are um, and cognitive issues. And, and those I'm reminded of all the people over the years that I've known and loved and, and been around and, and hung out with and been through things with that their, their mental health didn't, they didn't make it. And I'm tired of burying coworkers. I'm tired of burying friends. I've, cause I've done it a lot. I've been doing this since I graduated EMT in March of 1993. So I'm, I'm going on 28 years now. And we, you know, we're still just getting started. EMS is 50 years old and the fire and the police services, you know, and I am very proud to be a fireman. I was a volunteer for eight years before I became a paid fireman. So to be clear, I, I love the fire service and am so proud to be a part of it. But I'm also very proud of EMS, what it's capable of and where it's going. And, and those two things are not mutually exclusive. I, I do get a lot of, I get tired of a lot of us versus them stuff in both the EMS and the fire circles and everybody needs to stop. We are all literally on the same team. I, I hear you agree with you, uh, cannot scream or yell loud enough, uh, my support for those statements. Uh, one of the things that we do is we try to uh, build acceptance even without agreement for true honest collaboration um, where we're not arguing for arguing sake. And you know, people where they intentionally are gonna do the exact opposite of what you, what you suggested or, or told them to do. Um, where, where we help create a relational perspective as opposed to just a transactional perspective where they're going to do this for this and, you know, kind of those quid pro quo things. And uh, we have to treat each other better, um, interprofessionally, intraprofessionally. And uh, your, your words resonate, Ryan. Um, I look forward to continuing the conversation uh, at a later time. Thank you for sharing your stories, um, Ryan. Uh, so, just tell them where they can get in touch with you on, on LinkedIn, your, your name or how you're identified on there. I, Ryan Woodard, Lieutenant of Oklahoma City Fire Department is my LinkedIn profile. Um, I am, you can reach me through email and um, I'm going to spell it out phonetically. F is in Frank, F is in Frank, E is in Edward, M is in Mary, T is in Tom, P is in Paul, 179 at iCloud. Dot com. Um, that's yes, that's firefighter EMTP, <laughs> FFEMTP, um, 179, which is my Midwest City medic number. Um, and you know, if anybody needs something, wants to talk about something, you know, I'm I've gotten to teach a lot of people over the years. I got to teach your academy at M, so obviously, um, you had experience before you got there, and and you and I got to be friends immediately because of that experience. Um, I still have the pleasure of collaborating with the IMSA. There is new blood at IMSA in the uh, training division and they come over and teach at the fire department and I go teach at IMSA 
And it's a great collaborative effort that we all know has needed to be there for years and years and years. Um, I am dedicated to the hand heavy stuff and I'm going to stand on the top of the mountains and shout it until people start listening to the new way of doing things. Because, you know, I know firemen hate two things the way things are and change, but if you don't keep up, you're getting left behind. Absolutely and true. You, we don't get to suck at 80% of what we do. And so focusing on EMS going forward, that's, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm begging and pleading with all fire services, not, not necessarily my, my command staff. Um, they don't really buck any of the, you know, they're progressive. They want a whole blood program. COVID killed our whole blood program here in Oklahoma City. So hopefully we'll be ramping that back up soon. Um, you know, we have a lot of, we're one of the biggest ALS first response agencies in the nation. We have, at the end of this year, we'll have 38 ALS fire stations. Um, we have over 270 paramedics and 700 EMTs. I'm, I'm proud of this organization and where we're going. And we just have to keep up. We have to continue to change. Yeah. And I hope that other places realize that you cannot continue to make EMS an afterthought. If it's 80% of what you do, train like it. And that's, that's my only message to, and you know, when you work for an EMS, it's a hundred percent of what you do train like it, work on your high acuity, low occurrence stuff, do the uncomfortable stuff, work your pediatric codes. If anything, that's all we should do when we go in for a refresher, right? Yeah. We can work an adult code just fine. When was the last time you got to walk in and work a pediatric code? Cause nobody wants to do that. That's not fun. Nope. But those are the things we suck at. So let's not suck at them anymore. The public deserves better. They deserve better. And we need to treat each other better too. Um, Ryan, you've been on the EMS Improv podcast, uh, we, where we engage, where we're mindful, we, we tell and share our stories. We are powered by gems. I am Eric Chase. And Ryan, I want to thank you. Um, is a, again, is a brother in service, is a friend, uh, to a person that would give the shirt off his back to, to anyone in need. Thank you for what you do. Um, have grace for yourself uh, when you're able to get, you know, continue to work on the closure on that, on the Plaza Towers. And uh, I'm thankful for your time that you shared with us today, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Eric. And um, if I can pass anything on to anybody, nobody's coming to save us. It's up to us, guys. All right, everyone, thank you again for listening to the EMS Improv Podcast, powered by GEMS.